am Daniel Pritchett. I work here at Clear Function. My name is Ben Robin. I am a software engineer at Clear Function. And I'm Stephen Overholzer, and I'm uh, project management here at Clear Function. Today we're going to be talking about something that's uh, that we deal with every day here at Clear Function, and that's remote work and uh, handling challenges around communication and uh, just the different facets of remote work and communication. Naturally, as an agency, we do a lot of projects both for in-town and remote clients. So it's something we're extremely familiar with. You know, one thing about projects uh, remote is they all they all look very different. It, it may be a similar scope. It may be a similar team size. But the fact of the matter is if the team composition is different, then it's a very different project. And um, so that's one of the things we're going to talk about today. From a project management standpoint, uh, I, I think it's important to understand uh, very early on in a remote project or as a remote worker on a project mm -hmm. what sort of communication styles the team and the project themselves will will uh, most greatly benefit from how is that from a development standpoint how do you guys see that uh, well first I got to say one thing right um, you you've rightly pointed out there are a lot of differences for each project of course but there is one common thread for all remote projects and that is that for the first five minutes of every meeting, we have to do the, oh, can you guys hear me? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and get the Hangout cal calibrated correctly. Yes, yes. Plus one for Hangouts. Just kidding. <laughs> I've been on a ton of meetings where we go through two, three, four voice conferencing <laughs> options just trying to get one that works yeah. for everybody. Usually yeah. with a steady team that's having the same meeting every day for months and end, it's not such a big deal. But yeah. for infrequent participants, it gets pretty it hairy. It's definitely probably a lower stress deal for y'all since you're not ru typically running <laughs> yeah, the meetings. Definitely. But when you're on with the client and it's uh, Hangouts audio isn't working and, uh, you know, go to meeting is just hung up right. or people don't, aren't seeing the invite and then you're sl switching to Skype mm -hmm. and you've got half the team distributed over three different type of communication tools. Hey, where's the meeting link again, Stephen? Right. It's <laughs> in the invite. It's always in yeah. the invite. Yeah, I've... Uh... That, that can get really stressful. I remember once I was in a, a monthly steering meeting for a previous company, and when it came time for me to do my report, I was talking and talking, and it turned out my $15 headset I bought at Walmart was just not cutting it. And mm. I started getting lots of private messages about how no one could hear me. And so I just went out and bought something fancy overnight. I was like, I don't want to be the one guy who no one can hear, and it's just completely left out of the communication. Yeah, we've probably all been through a few different uh, audio or, or video input sources every now and then, I think, mm -hmm. trying to find something that works consistently. Uh, just this morning, I was we were dealing with a little bit of an internal issue with um, pests. I had some sort of ant infestation, uh, and... I finally take control of that, remove some blockers, mm -hmm. and come back to my desk, and I see that Slack is blowing up from a client that we're working with. Yeah. And uh, thankfully, we're on really good terms, and we're pretty informal, and so I kind of let them know what was going on, and they got a good kick out of it, but <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, a, it was a good example of how uh, understanding the communication style that's going to fit best with the client and with yeah. the project team. Uh, is is super important. Obviously, if it's a real high profile project, uh, you know, super corporate, it may not be something that lends itself. 
Uh, yeah, there's definitely a level of comfort that uh, sort of naturally progresses over the time that you work on the project. Longer mm-hmm. projects, bigger teams, it just sort of takes some time to really get to know everybody and figure out everybody's sort of style of communication and even work, like especially when you're looking at code uh, for majority of the day. It, people have different styles of, of doing their writing their code as well. And so just kind of working through that naturally uh, can be a bit of a challenge to remote work as well. Yeah, I was really curious about what Stephen just said. The client was looking for him while he was out of the office. Uh, that reminds me that, it, particularly with remote work, it can be very important to figure out and establish and defend your boundaries. Mm. I've had situations where I've found myself, say, responding to Slack messages at 11 p.m. on a Friday and just things like that. And it, I just found myself working 24-7. It wasn't that I was doing a 1,000 hours a week. It's just that I was always on, which meant... I was never able to fully relax, and that was yeah. bad for me and for my family, and not really good for the client either. Mm. So being consistent about when you're working and when you're not and what the client can ex- expect from you, yeah. or even your teammates, is a really big deal. I could definitely see how remote work would blur sort of the work-life balance that we want to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we do a great job of it here, but I, I can definitely think of times in the past when that boundary has been blurred uh, at other projects or jobs or companies yeah. um, mm-hmm. in a way that's just unhelpful for everybody, kind of like you're talking about. There's sure. a couple of facets of this here, too. Like what Steven's talking about this morning is we're all mostly in the same office, but we have a client in another state, whereas... Yeah, or in, another time zone. Yeah, right. Even further, right. Um, other teams I've worked on, pretty much everyone was in a different location. Like everybody was working from home or a coffee shop in a different state or country even. Mm. Yep. And that really sets the tone for how people interact. And then you'll have some cases where a company's half and half, and I find that personally to be a really awkward situation where everybody in the, the main office winds up communicating informally or face-to-face, and that winds up causing a leaving the other people out in the cold right. to a certain extent. And that's rarely done on purpose, but it's just human nature. Sure. Some of that, uh, yeah, definitely. If uh, if the whole team is remote, for example, there's a there's a common understanding that everybody is dealing in, in a similar situation of whether it's uh, a home office or, you know, a remote work environment. Uh, but everybody is, is an individual comprised uh, comprising the total team. Uh, whereas if you have, you know, half of the team is in one location and the other half is in the other, they're dealing with their own team cultures and, Mm -hmm. uh, team schedules. Uh, and so it can, it can definitely complicate, uh, communication, uh, on a, on a shared project. I think there are even little things that we do, maybe not even, maybe without even thinking about it much, um, that can really help especially in meetings with a remote team where everybody's in a different location. You know, the tendency in a meeting when you ask a question of the whole group is right silence for a few seconds or moments even. And just taking that extra long pause to give people an opportunity to hear and process and even allow for latency issues in Skype mm-hmm. or something like that mm-hmm. um, to where that you have that extra time to allow a response helps it feel like, you know, we're not really struggling from remote as we could be. Sure. One thing that I see helps a lot in remote situations is to actively poll people if you've got some sort yeah. of debate going on. And this even happens in face-to-face meetings. You'll have outspoken people like me who just have ideas about <laughs> things. They may not be Tons good ideas, but they'll probably tell you about uh-huh, it. Uh-huh, right. uh-huh. So these right. guys have heard my ideas. So yeah. <laughs> you, there's definitely going to be people sitting on the other side of the table or even worse, on the other end of the phone 
who might have something to say and aren't going to unless mm-hmm. you ask them. And that's common advice you get when considering diversity issues in a company. Like, how do you make sure that perspectives are equally represented? But mm-hmm. Yeah, I think some of that is definitely... Uh, is driven based on the type of role you you have in a project. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, your leaders or your point people are probably going to be more vocal um, when it comes to remote communication on a project. Um, but I, I, I and that kind of leads us into another point about um, just managing remote work from different uh, roles, whether it's a hey, I'm a guy and I'm contributing to the overall headcount of this project and I bring a certain expertise, but I'm a, I'm a, I'm a single guy mm-hmm. on a larger headcount, uh, type project versus, you know, somebody who's leading a role either as a, you know, a technical architect or as a project manager, you know, product consultant type role. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I think all, all of that plays also into the types of communication and, and why it's important to make sure we understand, um, when it comes to soliciting questions or if there's a, a feedback type meeting, whether it's a, a sprint review retrospective or more of an informal, um, we got to just kind of hash through something to f- figure out what solution is going to be best polling or making sure you're involving or calling people by name, mm-hmm. um, to, to solicit response. Yeah. Well, and even when your role is is full-time developer on a project, that can look very different and be stretched on on ver- depending on the project and, and the makeup of the team, right? Mm. Um, I'm thinking of a, a longer-term project that we've all been on where even the developer role, you know, they want a lot of feedback about um, what's the best way to do something or what and they're asking for that from us. Um, and so, you know, that's our opportunity to sort of leverage our expertise in the area and really speak to that and speak into that. Um, mm-hmm. Knowing that they want that from us helps us remember to actually speak up uh, in mm-hmm. those those moments, right? Where in some projects, you just might not. You may, it m- may be more of a plug-in, heads-down, here's the requirements, code the spec exactly, and, and move on. Yeah, that's a good point you're making about roles and responsibilities. I find that within an office environment, people talking face to face, you get to know more about each other's background mm-hmm. and that does lend itself towards role shifting based on, you know, who knows the most or who's got the most experience with this particular piece of a project. Whereas with people in fifteen locations, people aren't gonna know about yep. Ben's secret history as a as a spy or something, <laughs> right? So when it comes to huh? to uh field craft or anything later. like that, they're just gonna <laughs> maybe ask the architect or the internal subject matter expert what's going on they might not know that there's one person here who actually knows more than anybody else about it and it just doesn't come up right Mm. so you'll find i don't know maybe 10 20 people in a project and you've got one dba or one architect and things naturally route through that direction and it it does help like for instance personally on say one project i'm just developing i pull my tickets out of the project management queue and i get them done and you know i'll talk to people as needed to get clarification or some technical advice and that works out well for everybody but yeah it's been suggested in other projects you've got a much broader impact on the project like let's say it's a a product with a short a tiny team compared to Mm -hmm. a project with a big team it's really going to look different for different people yeah and that's hard to establish across the phone yeah i think i think the remote aspect of that sort of dichotomy is what really 
um, we want to dig into today and just figure out how do we and how have we successfully worked around the challenges that just inherently come with remote work? I think everybody leans either towards being more vocal, um, either because they're technical expertise or domain mm-hmm. expertise. Uh, and then there's or personality. There's <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, and then there, there are definitely others that would prefer more of just a heads down, mm-hmm. like feed me the mm-hmm. tasks, right? You know, I'll yeah. get the work done, spit it back to you and just keep that cycle going. Mm-hmm. And what, sometimes that works well. Sure. Other times it, it just doesn't. Uh, absolutely. Right. But, um, what kind of advice would you give for a technical resource that maybe is, is more of a heads down, get work done, but the project that they find themselves on is more of a collaborative effort a mm. a client that's asking for uh input into mm-hmm. the ultimate solution yeah to me i think the first thing that comes to mind is taking ownership of the product or the project um when you want to see the product succeed you tend to work differently than when you don't or have no interest uh and initially coming onto a project you don't that just doesn't happen automatically you have to make that happen uh so learning how the business works together learning what the requirements are for each person who's going to use the application uh figuring out how the current code base if you inherited one works uh what works well what what does what could be improved um and really taking ownership of all of those things helps to i think for me uh grow a level of understanding beyond just a heads down developer mm-hmm. i'd say a lot of that comes from experience and then not just professional experience but also experience working with a particular person like mm-hmm. let's say one project i might feel my best bet is to pull a ticket out of the queue spend a few days building it best effort to what looks right and then present it and if we have rework or notes to adjust it then put that back in the queue as more work rather than just throwing it away and starting over. But another project, I might know for sure that the stakeholders have more technical acumen or just more specific opinions mm-hmm. on the work at hand. And in that case, I probably shouldn't go past, say, a mock-up or a wireframe before I invest too much time because mm-hmm. it could be the wrong direction. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I think on a remote project specifically, if the stakeholders or the product owner even are are remote, right, you're not in the same location as them, there is a certain... Um, maybe it's it's not really a physical one, but a sort of a boundary of do I ask the question? And when you take the ownership of the product, you tend to push yourself to ask the question. And I think the other thing that has helped me is not asking too many or too long mm-hmm. questions, but figuring out quickly how to get to exactly what I need with the right question to the right person is helpful as well. Mm. Yeah, when, when I'm managing projects and... Uh, resources on the team are are willing to bring suggestions uh or even concerns about maybe the the current implementation strategy yeah. when they're able to do that in a way that's trying to arrive at the best solution being a valuable resource uh, w- without just trying to either one up someone else mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or or put down the 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 current strategy mm-hmm. um I, I think really puts a spotlight on on someone's willingness to really dig in and um, contribute to the project as a mm-hmm. whole and not just one's involvement or expertise or, or or whatever on a project. From more of a manager's perspective, do you feel like there's more of a natural barrier to those questions in a remote project specifically? 
Uh, absolutely. I think, um, I think it's easy to see when you have uh, new team members come on to a, a project and there's an existing backlog of work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think it's the, the natural inclination to go as opposed to trying to understand a, a product as a whole or a mm-hmm. project as a whole. Um, and, and, and sometimes that's exactly what's necessary. Sometimes it, that that's the exact role that's needed on the project. Right. Um, it is interesting to see uh, team members come onto a project from kind of a project management standpoint who are, who don't have the blinders on, um, and who are willing to kind of at least keep their ear out for opportunities to be a part of the greater discussion. Um, I think that definitely positions folks like that well for, uh, greater influence on, you know, technical direction, additional ways that a product could be enhanced beyond even the initial scope, mm-hmm. maybe within the same amount of uh, time constraint of the project, but just in a better way. And so ultimately, you, as a technical resource, you, you may end up getting, getting what you would want all along uh, just by willing to kind of take those blinders off and be a part of the, the greater project. I would will say that depending on which part of the market you're targeting, there may be more of an expectation that you're operating as a an implementer of someone else's ideas or maybe a craftsman who's got really serious attention to detail and professionalism, but then other people might be looking for more of an artisan where they're going to expect you to have good ideas and good suggestions and preferences. Mm-hmm. And in that case, it almost turns into an interview where you as the developer or project manager are interviewing the business stakeholders and say, tell me more about this piece of the product or project that we're working on. What does it mean to you? And then you have to go back on the technical side and figure out various options to implement it and maybe just pick one and go with it. Uh, Going back to what you said earlier about taking the time to get regular feedback and ideas from stakeholders before going too deep into development, one time I found... I don't always do that in a remote scenario is if the person I want to ask is just incredibly busy and I'm thinking, mm. oh, here's a half-day task. I can wait half a day to get the right answer from this person or I can just do it and have something that technically works and maybe needs to be reworked. And so depending on how many different tasks you have available to you, like let's say I've got three different tickets I'm working on, then I can try to be pretty efficient about how I work them. Like maybe put this one on hold while I wait to have the meeting to get the answers to do it right. But if for some reason available work is slim for some reason, then you may just go ahead and do it and keep moving. Is it annoying to you guys as developers when you put out questions around how something needs to be done and it's via the channel that you believe is going to yield you the quickest response? Um, but yet you're still waiting for the response and it's outside of the expected time frame for a reply. Sure, and that's yeah. why I don't always ask. If I feel like the seriousness of the question is outweighed by the amount of time it's going to take to get a response, then I'll just do something. Yeah, if it's I, a big hmm. deal, then yeah, you got to wait. Well, I think another th- I was thinking about this earlier when you were asking what, what have we done with remote projects specifically that help to alleviate some of those natural problems. I think knowing where to ask the what's the right channel for this particular request or question or whatever it is is helpful as well. So like everything in Slack is not necessarily right. 
Uh, but instead, maybe it's a phone call, or maybe it's a Skype, or maybe it's a um, email, hip or chat. who knows? Right. Yeah, yeah, hip chat. Maybe <laughs> we, I, I haven't used hip chat yet, but uh, maybe I will say that that usually boils down to a per person preference. I heard someone just the other day asking, "I need to talk to this person. What's the right?" medium should i go straight to email or a phone call and we all agreed that skype was probably going to be the best bet for Mm -hmm. this question for these Mm -hmm. two people today yeah one thing that's always uh impressive to me when i'm managing projects is when uh developers have questions they may be of the level that it's kind of a, a stop till you get a response but instead of just doing a hard stop on progress as a whole where they're moving on to maybe an unrelated task to continue being a, a, a valuable piece of the team, right? So all through this podcast, I've been thinking about a, an axiom that you see thrown about programming discussions now and then. It's uh, Conway's Law. It says, organizations which design systems are constrained to produce designs which are copies of the communication structures of these organizations. So food for thought. Do you guys see that in any products or projects you've written? Let's not name names because it makes the part, podcast harder to produce, but just some <laughs> generic examples. Like what, do you, what do you think about remote work versus face-to-face work or expert consulting for a fairly non-technical business client? Have you seen any of that come out for you? So what happens if we use all communication channels? Yeah. What does that project look like? What does that mm. project design look like? Schizophrenic, maybe? <laughs> so I've been in situations where the company or the group as a whole has decided to use Slack or HipChat or email or a specific project management tool, but key leaders on the team are too busy to really participate. And so I've seen sometimes lack of executive buy-in or visible executive presence on a tool kind of dooms its adoption. Like maybe mm. too junior level programmers decide the team is using hip chat and people say yeah i guess so but then it never goes anywhere because the project managers are still emailing people and calling each other and it just doesn't happen so i feel like shouting hip chat messages and emailing them yeah basically you have to have a certain amount of leadership buy-in for a tool to take off Mm. i've been on teams where people didn't really want to use Jira, but the biggest projects were managed by the best project managers in Jira, so that was just the price of entry, even though yeah. it wasn't really working. Yeah, I think part of that comes back to a project management role, right? Um, ensuring that the tools that, that we've designed for the project are the mm-hmm. ones that are followed. Uh, it, it definitely happens where you know, someone's on the periphery of a project. Mm-hmm. They may be a stakeholder and a high valuable stakeholder, but they're not in the day to day. Right. And so they don't really uh understand the accepted channels and it's you're not gonna get a, a fifteen minute, you know, hang out with them to talk about yeah. how yeah. how the project's running and what you know, how, how communication flows and how requirements yeah. are gathered and all of that stuff. So I, I think some of that comes back to the, the project management role of even translating that communication that may be outside of the the main main channels into right. into something that's consumable by the team, whether it's an email, but really the, the, the developers work best, mm-hmm. you know, via Slack. And so as a good project manager, I want to make sure that they're receiving the, the communication in the, in the appropriate channel that's going to uh, set them up for, for the best success. Right. And it does seem like at least one obvious 
response is you don't want to limit yourself to just one form of communication. Sure, I don't mean picking a medium, but let's say a project I've been working on, uh, lots of developers, a mm -hmm. lot of the design discussions are done in small groups. Yep. And so maybe I talked to one or two or three people about designing this whole section of the system, and then months later I'll find out someone else built something similar in another part of the system, and we gotcha. didn't talk to each other about mm -hmm. it because you want to minimize communication overhead so you don't sure. have all the people talking about all the things, and suddenly yeah. you see modules of the system that grow up like silos. That's inevitable, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Sometimes it makes sense to just do what it costs to have everyone involved on some of those things early on. Not every time, of course, as you mentioned, because the communication cost is high to have mm -hmm. everybody in the room for a 30-minute meeting every day. I mean, if I'm, gonna be, <laughs> if I'm being held responsible for 30, 40 hours a week of productive development, then I rely on Stephen and Colin, for instance, to have the conversations yeah. with the clients yeah. mm -hmm. so that I can actually try to achieve eight hours a day of productive programming. Yeah. I mean, you can yeah. have it both ways. One way that helps when those decisions are made is either like a confluence note afterward that is available to everybody. And then sometimes you have the inevitable problem of not everybody in their silo checks on that stuff. So oh, yeah. sometimes it makes sense to have it just in the main whether it's in Slack or Flowdoc or whatever, the main flow so that everyone mm -hmm. can see and even sometimes mm -hmm. gets pinged by uh, that decision that's being made so that you sort of cut down after the fact on things that are being mm -hmm. built twice. Yeah, that's a, um, kind of a question I had. A lot of our conversation to this point has been around uh, assumed um, high levels of communication. Right. But um, what about for projects that, that we're a part of where maybe a, a team member is not very communicative mm -hmm. uh, regardless of the channel it just seems they're they're a little off on their own and, and maybe being extremely productive but uh, sometimes that void in communication can can lead to a question around are they really being productive right. or yeah. do they do they have a good grasp on the uh, the tasks uh, in front of them that can be a really tough part of any long-term project or team. People might be particularly suited to different styles of work, and maybe right. for one month, this is your time to shine. You're going to do your best work, and everybody else is going to be doing bud tickets that are not as glamorous, right? But then maybe, personally, you could be having a, a downswing or just not exposed to tickets or work that matches your, your strengths. So mm -hmm. depending on the organization there may or may not be ways in place to accommodate that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you hear about nightmares about a former coworker at a different job who was terrible and no one liked them and they never got anything done and they got fired. And people would say, oh, people tend to think that's a, a personal moral failing, but often it's just a, a temporary lack of fit. So yeah. depending on the organization's long-term plan, if you like your people, if they're productive most of the time, there's usually something to do with them. There's a certain amount of patience there. But sure. One of the things is definitely to have the right people in the right places. And I think we might tend to think that, oh, this won't be helpful. Mm -hmm. to like It may be hurtful to move this person out of what they're doing, but actually it's hurtful to keep them in that spot if it's not good for them and not good for the project oh, or yeah. the company, right? It's better for everybody to get somebody where they, where they should be naturally. I think one of the things, Stephen, that I was thinking about is what practically do I do um, in response to your you know, am I reaching out enough or are other people reaching out enough? Um, and one thing I do is ping people um, specifically, like even if it's in a main flow, sometimes it's right to just tag somebody that's associated with that. If, if, it's, a, if it's a question to the team that we know one person's going to have to answer, 
it sometimes it makes sense to just CC and then mention them, right? Other times, you know, if I'm thinking about how do I try to communicate enough, uh, sometimes that could be just checking in regularly. Uh, sometimes it could be um, not just committing locally, but pushing out to the remote mm. so that uh, maybe an architect or even if I'm pairing with Daniel, he can see what I've been doing the last couple hours to check mm-hmm. in and see if I need help with something or if I'm, he knows I'm going to get stuck somewhere, you know, he can check in and, and, and do that. So yeah, sort I of think the two sides. There. I think being definitely just being responsive and predictable in the types of communication that you have, right. even if, even if the, what you're currently working on does require heads down, you know, two or three days of work. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wouldn't assume, um, that everybody understands the the scale or the the type of tasks that require that sort of uh, headphones on, head down. I, I think it's good to be mindful of the fact that just delivering, you know, after five days of work, delivering a massive amount uh, in a merge request is not maybe great, but there could be questions yeah. in, in that in, in in that five days of like, are they actually making progress? And so, yeah. Um, being responsive in in some way, even if it's just socially in in a channel, mm-hmm. if, if there's mm-hmm. if there's a joke or something, the regular gift uh, roll every just, now and then, sure, right, mm-hmm. <laughs> or or just posting something dumb in a in a general channel that that lets people know that you're plugged in, that you're even watching the communication channels, if it's right. Slack or Flowdoc or whatever. Um, specifically on emails one thing that i that i see that's really valuable to me is uh, on the project side is if there's an email that goes out to five people and and really i'm looking for feedback from two people um but i also get at least some sort of response from the others Mm -hmm. it it may be just like a yeah that looks great to me or it's a just an affirmation or you know, I'm in line or some sort of three word response. Yep. Um, it, it makes a difference because it makes me understand, okay, yeah, you're tracking with the communication, you're plugged in. Uh, and so being predictable in those things, um, I think really helps, helps me get a pulse for individuals and their level of connectedness to the project, even if they're delivering, uh, work as expected. Mm Mm-hmm. When it's an agile remote project too, I think good stand-up updates is really helpful too. Uh, and I said good because it's not just that you have a stand-up update. That's not sometimes often enough, right? It needs to be a um, enough detail that folks know what's going on, but not so much that they get lost if they're not involved in what you're doing. Yeah. So you know, we use the yesterday today blockers format, which is really helpful. Uh, but even in that, just the level of detail can sometimes be way too much or way not enough, especially on those uh, five days a, of work things. A sample yesterday today blockers <laughs> report for uh, listeners. Sure, yeah. <laughs> just don't mention any clients or anything. <laughs> oh man, I don't know what I did yesterday because I've slept since then. Though that's not a very good all update. Right, so yesterday <laughs> I spent all day building feature X for Rails app for yeah. client Y. Today, I'm going to try to finish that and also have a meeting to talk about my next thing. And oh, by the way, I have to go see the plumber. Right. And Blocker is... Really blocked by the ants in the office. Mm. Right, right. Yeah, that's been taken care of. So that gives... (laughs) For sure. Yeah, no, I I, I agree with you, Ben. I think it's it's good. Um, Be articulate. And you know, speak to the speak to the people that are in the in the huddle or in the mm-hmm. stand up. 
um, if the team that's that's present is going to be very familiar uh, with with the details of what you've been working on, right. yeah, go into it. Uh, keep it concise. Obviously, you don't want to just. It's not a presentation style. Mm-hmm. Simply having an update of yeah, made good progress on X yesterday and uh, today. You know, I, I feel like I'm set up well to keep going. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, I I know the intention there, yeah. but it, but it really doesn't speak much to, I to have the actual progress being made. That's and, a good example, I think, of of a what is intended well but may not be the most helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because in in reality, you may be making great progress and be delivering what you thought would actually take longer. But to the average project member, they they may not they don't have any frame of reference for what making good progress to mm-hmm. you means. And they're not yeah. sitting next to you. Steven's pretty good day. at uh, rephrasing that question. If someone's too vague about <laughs> the work they've gotten done, like if I check in two three days in a row, say, "Oh yeah, still working on feature X. Things are doing great." Steven might push back with. So what exactly have you accomplished and what do you think is left <laughs> yeah. and how far do you need to go? Which or, is or just what does great mean? Not yeah. just the you rest know? of the team. Oh, certainly. The developers are eternal optimists, so in effect we're lying <laughs> to each other. Like, tomorrow I'm definitely going to finish this. So you you're say saying that every there's day a chance. For, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Ben, you made a really interesting point earlier about not over-communicating in that you don't want to flood a medium, say your Slack channel, your FlowDoc room, with notes. So if you have people coordinating there looking for important information... And I'm posting funny gifts every five minutes, which <laughs> I do which is tend the to over communicate with any kind of chat medium. <laughs> it can be hard, you know. People who are just not feeling it are not going to come in and read through thousands of jokes to see your three salient project updates. Yeah. Well, I think we both are notorious for mm-hmm. what could have been one a little bit longer post. We'll just make five short ones because yeah. we remembered, oh, that detail that I need to include in here, I'll just post that also. Mm-hmm. And so it tends to be five pings instead of one. Yeah. Uh, I hone those skills with AOL Instant Messenger in high <laughs> yeah. school. Yeah. It stuck with me a long time. Did you call it AIM? AIM. Okay, I called it AIM. I wondered AIM, if that was a regional definitely. thing. definitely. Is that in Oklahoma yeah. then? Maybe it is. Okay, deal. So I think we've kind of naturally transitioned into some of the challenges with communicating in specifically remote projects. Stephen, I know you wrote up a few things about some specific challenges. Do you want to talk about maybe the top three or top few things that you feel like are really challenging on remote projects? Yeah, I think we talked a little bit about it already, but just the idea of going dark and uh, in the communication style that you use as a remote worker or as a remote resource on a project. Mm -hmm. Um, Work in silos and that sort of lone wolf. Sure, yeah, the lone wolf mentality. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of a lot of people choose independent contracting intentionally mm-hmm. uh, because they want the freedom of different projects and different problems to solve, and some flexibility in their schedule. But mm-hmm. just the idea of uh, being a part of a larger project uh, as a as a contractor, independent contractor, and not really benefiting from the the culture and the connectedness of. Right of the project, um, whether it's cause you're not leveraging the communication channels and digging into be beyond the technical discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I think that can definitely lead to project fatigue, uh, where you just feel isolated and, and quickly begin to get burnt out on a project. Right. I definitely agree with keeping in touch as much as you can frequently and consistently. I will say that 
a bit of solitude and focus is a useful tool to deploy occasionally. For instance, some things are just not going to be figured out unless one or two people go off into a room together for a few days and then come back with it. But that's got to be, you have to really keep track of how much time you're spending on that. And is it really a good idea? Occasionally you can get, or I can get off on a crusade doing something longer than I should. And it's good to check in occasionally, just let people know, hey, I'm still going really deep on this thing. Yeah. Happy with that. Play, yeah, pair play. programming helps with that a lot too. Hmm. Just, just at least being in duos or sometimes maybe trios uh, can help a lot with not getting too distracted in a silo or something. Yeah, I think spending too much time in, in your own silo or on your own, even it, especially if it happens to be that the work hours that you're providing on the project are alternative right. to uh, you know a typical eight to five schedule. Uh, I, I think you can very quickly reach this point where you're unintentionally feeling like maybe I'm not as much a part of this project as yes. I thought I was. You start hearing different tones in communication that aren't intended at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that can definitely start playing with your mind and you start feeling like it's a kind of a me versus them. Yeah. Uh, I've definitely seen that sort of position. thing with different freelancers I've worked with. Some of them obviously have a vibrant social life outside of work and they're just having a good time and this is how they pay the bills or what they're doing to get through the day. But others, sometimes I felt sorry for a, a freelancer who's off alone, works alone in another state, never sees any of their teammates and just doesn't seem to quite make the social connection and then things seem to get a lot more personal and stressful. Mm-hmm where other people don't get by down like that. Yeah, I think there's great tools, communication tools. I mean, we've talked about a lot of them already that that really can help support the idea of an individual on a larger project staying connected, uh, whether it's turning on your video camera, right? When you're on a Hangout or some other Skype, go to meeting, whatever it is. It's amazing how much that that does. Yeah, or or if if you're a part of the larger project team, and you feel like that there may be someone that's sort of isolated out or on the edges. Yeah. Do, do things like turn your camera on. Mm-hmm. Initiate. Uh, initiate that that connection to make sure that they understand that, hey, everybody's cool here. Yeah. There's nothing weird. That's a good point. Um, do you start and, with your camera on? And sure. Yeah. And, and, and just reference, you know, call, call people out for questions or get their ideas on things. Uh, Over communication. Uh, I think in in situations where you you wonder if maybe there's 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 a straggler on the edges whether mm-hmm. just cuz they're they're not as plugged in or they're uh for whatever reason not as communicative i think over communicating can really help save that that weirdness that that we can all experience um on on remote projects it's really not intended or mm-hmm. or uh, because someone's doing a, a poor job yeah i've seen ben in particular has been really good at establishing relationships just in private messages on chat with other contractors on different projects i'll see them i sit next to ben which is why i have all this insider information i'll see them <laughs> reach out to him with private notes on things that i can tell he's already established a rapport with them and they may have project level concerns or just personal issues and they'll want a single person to talk to in the context of the project without bringing it up in public on an email or a a video chat Mm -hmm. that's really great for everybody yeah Mm -hmm. when you don't work next to somebody every day 
you've got to do the best you can not to assume intentions, I think. You know, I don't know why, and I'm not going to pretend like I know why someone is doing what they're doing. So rather than guess and operate on that assumption, I would rather ask the question because I think it's only going to be helpful. Uh, you know, worst case scenario, it is what you assumed, <laughs> but at least now you know rather than just guessing and yeah. then maybe operating on a false assumption. Yeah, if you can be civil about bringing that sort of confrontation about yeah. at least no one's being passive aggressive and you really do understand each other now yeah Collins talked a lot to us about um, how fundamental trust is in a team mm-hmm. and just building that um, that sort of rapport that you're talking about with clients and with fellow developers and, and others on the project and that's so uh, critical to having a successful project I think yeah. yeah and some of those tactics are are as simple as just being observant when you're on calls with uh, mm-hmm. Whether it's someone alludes to to a, a, a sport that they are interested in, or something that happened last weekend to them, or even maybe it's the backdrop of their video. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. You know, like if you're a remote worker, we've we had a guy that we worked with that worked out of his van. That's exactly what and I was like, thinking about. Th- I mean, the guy typically wasn't down by the river, but right. like the, he always had different backdrops because yeah. mm-hmm. he was whether he was at the at the rock gym or on the road traveling between states. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, great worker, uh, you know, super productive, but yeah. it was it paying attention to some of those smaller things that really allowed us to build relationship with him yep. that, mm-hmm. that built trust and built rapport, uh, around, you know, silly, stupid stuff, but yeah. it, it makes a difference. It, it really does. A long way for yeah. Sure. The trust is huge. If you're on a project that's say everyone's full-time and they know that they're they expect their tenure to outlast the project then you get a different level of contribution a different level of rapport if you're doing pure contracting and freelancing different people are going to have different levels of openness based on how good they feel about what they're doing what they're being asked to do mm-hmm. there may be if there's a lot of positivity then people are just you know throwing it out there and having a good time but if people get stressed maybe you're in the latter stage of a project or just you personally have not been on a string of winners as far as your tickets then you can see people start to pull back and mm-hmm. having steven and ben send you private messages with <laughs> funny jokes maybe just what it takes to keep you engaged i love you dan keep going all right man <laughs> i'll see you tomorrow <laughs> so yeah. i think to to kind of wrap this one up um let's just do a quick round table of maybe one or two things that stuck out to us as uh, and probably things that we've already talked about, but just to kind of in summary, um, what is it that we do here and we do personally that we really feel like helps us uh, overcome the challenges inherent in remote work? And, mm-hmm. and so for me, I think just going back to what I was kind of saying earlier, it, being charitable and gracious towards others, not assuming uh, an intent and operating on that assumption is probably the number one thing I'd say. And maybe number two, as I mentioned earlier, is just that ownership of the project or the product, uh, really wanting it to succeed mm-hmm. uh, and not kind of engineering that us versus them or me versus the product kind of mentality. Sure. Yeah, for me, uh, I lean towards how communication is done and managed on a project. And so I, I would say definitely get a good understanding of the appropriate communication channels. That's going to vary from project to project. Some will prefer a certain method. You know, some are more email driven, which is annoying sometimes, but (laughs) um, just setting in and getting a good pulse of um, what's going to make you succeed from a communication standpoint. All right. Uh, For me, I'd say it's knowing your limits and maintaining your boundaries. I know that I've got the raw materials to produce valuable work as long as, say, 
I get enough sleep and food and hit the gym. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I'm burned out and I might be operating at 20% of capacity and either the project sunk or I'm fired or something. You don't want to see that happen. So <laughs> No, I don't want to see that happen. Someone wants to talk you into working in a style that you know is not going to be good for you. You need to tell them up front. You know? I recognize we've got concerns here, but unless you really do want to burn, us, burn somebody out and send them away, you've got to be very respectful and aware of their personal needs. Mm-hmm. And I don't really feel much of that push. Five, ten years ago, maybe I would just assume people wanted me to do stuff like that, and I'd make poor decisions. But the older and more experienced I get, the more I'm assertive about I know who I am and what I'm doing at work, and it just seems to work out for me. You've been listening to It Depends, a podcast by Clear Function. Clear Function is a group of happy engineers based in Memphis, Tennessee. We partner with visionaries to bring their ideas to life. For more information, check out our website at clearfunction.com.